Take out your Bibles, please, with me. We're in the Gospel of Mark today. Mark chapter 3. You probably heard it in the announcements. If not, if it passed, slipped by you, just a reminder, please be praying for our youth. They took off already to the youth camp, so pray for a safe journey there and back, but also that, that the Lord would truly meet them there. And it's a prayer every year that each individual of our young people, that they would have an encounter with the true and living God, and, and it would change their lives, change the direction of their life. And it's just so exciting to wait and hear the, the stories again when they come back. So keep that in prayer this week. You know, Andy had mentioned when we were in our, our time of worship together, and just this, this idea that we get caught up in, in the truth of, of this amazing reality that, that our Lord, our Creator, our God, Almighty, Eternal God, loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And in exchange, the exchange that takes place, our sinfulness for his perfect righteousness. And I hope that that message never gets old. Wednesday night, we taught, you know, we're going through the Old Testament and shared the gospel message. And I said to them all, I said, I know you guys are here on Wednesday night. You guys are we're probably just in a small group of born-again believers here. And so why am I sharing the gospel? Because we need to hear it again. We all need to be reminded of that continually as to, as to who we are and in Christ and why it is that, that we can stand so firmly in that. But you know, the other thing is I continue to ponder on this and through this week especially, the Lord has just been just laying on my heart again that, it, yes, we're, we're saved, we're born again, and that a beautiful thing that we have eternity with him to look forward to there. But, but right now, he not only saved me, he desires to spend time with me. He wants to, to spend time, and as much time as I will give him. I mean, I know, I know that I know that I know that my wife loves me. But there's times when I can tell she's like hurrying me out the door, you know, I got stuff to do, honey, you know, you know, we'll see you later and gives me a kiss on the way out. And, and that's okay. That's, that's great. I get it. You know, Jesus will, wants more time with me than I'm, than, than I am willing to give. And that just blows me away. His desire to be, and then his desire to use us in service with him. Part of being a, the, the family of God is that he invites us to be a part of the family business, to, to reach out and to share the truth of the gospel in this lost and dying world. And that, that so blesses me, and it so blows me away, because I, if we're being honest, we have to say, you know, God, there would be a much more effective way for you to do this, much more efficient than to use me. Several years ago, the Lord gave me a particular verse, and many of you probably say, you know, we have these verses that we consider and we look at as life verses, but this is one that's really just settled in with me. It's 1 Timothy 1.12. It says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. And as I just dwell on that, is that, that he would consider me faithful, that he would put me into active service. And, and that is kind of a, a lead into where we're going today in, in, the, in the gospel of Mark, because we're going to see that God specifically chooses out of his large group of disciples, his 12 apostles. And we're going to talk a little bit about the ministry, but then look at the ministers in so if you'll follow along with me, verse seven is where we'll pick up. We left off last time, if you were here You'll remember that 
Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. He had a withered hand, and he told him to, to stretch out his hand. And the Pharisees were just waiting there for Jesus to do a miracle on the Sabbath so that they could, they could bring charges against him. And sure enough, as soon as he did, they left. The Pharisees go out. They start conspiring with the Herodians on how they could destroy him. Matthew tells us that he was aware of this, completely aware of this. And it is because of that that he now, we pick up in verse 7, withdrew to the sea with his disciples. And a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not so that they would not crowd him. The crowd was there, a large number of people, but the word there for crowd means to press in, to basically almost suffocate. For he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. It tells us again here, he withdraws. He goes away to a, a more secluded part of the Sea of Galilee, away from Capernaum, away from the bigger cities, fishing villages all around. But he's doing this to get away. But notice there are multitudes coming from all over. If you look at a map of Israel, you, you see, especially an ancient map, Idumea, 120 miles south of Capernaum. Tyre and Sidon, 50 miles north. I mean, we're talking a massive area from beyond the Jordan, even out east. Word gets out. Notice it says they heard about Jesus. They heard about everything that he was saying, everything that he was doing. How did they hear there wasn't, there, wasn't the, there wasn't Twitter going on. There wasn't the 24-hour news cycle. How did they hear? The people who were healed, the people who had their lives changed, the people who witnessed, who saw, were spreading the word. And as the others heard and spread it out, his fame going throughout the whole land. And notice, not only did they hear, they came. Why did they come? Why would you travel 120 miles? Because you've reached the end. You have no hope. You've tried everything else. You come to this point where it says, you know what? I, I've tried all of these other things, and nothing is working. But now I see somebody else's life has been changed. Somebody else who was in the same situation as me is now different. Their life is radically different. I want that. Is there any hope for me? And it tells us that he healed them. Guys, that's our ministry. That is our ministry, as those who have been touched and healed by Jesus, who have had our lives radically changed. We've been rescued out of darkness, brought into light. We were blind, now we see. We were laid, heavy laden down with our sin, slaves to sin and death, and we've been set free. We are slaves of Christ and have eternal life now. It is up to us to bring others to Jesus. Our lives should project that, because they're in the same boat that we were, we have to always remember that. It's only by the grace of God that we're not in the same situation and place that they are now. We bring them to Jesus. We tell them about Jesus. We, our lives should reflect that we have been changed. It tells us in Matthew's account leading up to the calling of the disciples. In Matthew chapter 9, it says this. Seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. 
He saw them for their, what their true condition was. You know, the world thinks that if I, just, if I just get this one little thing fixed in my life, I'm going to be fine. If I, if I get this physical ailment taken care of, I'll be okay. If I get this financial situation all ironed out, I'm going to be great. If I get this job, that promotion, this thing, if I win the lottery, whatever it is, if I have this relationship, if this takes place, I'm going to be fine. But the more the world walks down that path, the more they realize that it's just empty. It's just empty. There's, there's, there's no fulfillment, lasting fulfillment in any of those things. And Jesus knows the real problem. That's why he says this here. They were distressed and dispirited. That word distressed means they're tormented, not externally, but internally. They can't get that rest because when they, when they chase after, after sexual pleasure or, or any other pleasures of the flesh, they realize they're tormented inside, realizing this is not right. This isn't filling what I thought it was going to it tells us not only are they distressed, but they're dispirited. That means, literally means to be thrown down to the point of giving up. The world plays a good game. On the outside, they try to make themselves look like, hey, I'm doing okay. On the inside, they know. They're distressed and dispirited. And Jesus says, like sheep without a shepherd. Understanding that a sheep without a shepherd is hopelessly, helplessly lost. They cannot survive on their own. And it says that he has compassion. That word we look at as compassion in the English doesn't carry with it the weight that the Greek word is used there. I mean, it means a depth to the very bowels uh, with inside is what it comes from this idea, this agonizing compassion, a heart breaking when looking at their current situation. And if we are going to be used by Jesus in an effective way, Guys, it's got to start with the fact that we have to have his heart. We have to have his heart for the world around us. And that's easier said than done because we look at all of these, 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 these things that are coming against the church, coming up against, against the, the, our, our very essence as Christians. You can't say this. You can't do this. This is acceptable. But anything that has to do with Jesus pushed out. And we have to be careful that we don't look at, at the, the situation and ignore the individuals because we need to see them as Jesus does. He outlines it further as he continues. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, after he talked about, or we see his compassion, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. If we're going to be effective in the ministry, we need to see the individuals as Jesus sees them, not as our enemy, but as the harvest field. They are the ones that we are to be going out to with this good news. Jesus says, he outlines the opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. You don't have to go hunting for it. It's everywhere, all around us. The same is true today. But the problem then was that the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. They're all out there. The workers are few that go out. Problem's still the same today. But the solution, notice what Jesus says, Pray, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Go on your knees before God and pray for workers. The same is true today. As followers of the Lord, that's where it needs to begin. We need to be praying. And if the first prayer might be for us, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you let me see them as you see them? Give me a burden for the lost. But then we need to be praying, Lord, would you raise up workers? 
Time is short, guys. The Lord is coming soon. And we need to be praying. We need to be on our knees before the Lord. And I want to encourage, again, as we do every month, <laughs> here we are, first Sunday of the month, we call it Encounter. Six o'clock tonight, we're going to gather together for a time of worship and prayer. Would you come out tonight? Let's pray together as a church. Let's gather together as a church and pray that the Lord would raise up workers. Now, I do need, there, this comes with a warning. Because just like he instructed them, when you pray, God, would you raise up workers? And you are serious and diligent in your prayer about the Lord, to the Lord about that? Guess who he's going to call? Guess who he's going to move on? Us. And that's what takes place because we've looked at the ministry here, this ministry that we're called to, but notice the ministers, and here again, Matthew leads into the same thing that we pick up here in verse 13. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. And to have the authority to cast out the demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. And James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James. To, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew. And Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Jesus summons, that word is interesting again in, in the Greek there, it means to call, but it, it's more than just a, you know, hollering out their name. No, it is a, it is a draw that he, that he calls them in to those whom he wanted, literally those whom he willed. It was his desire, his will that they would come to him. Guys, we need to understand when God calls, he determines the who, the how, the why, He's the one who calls. He's the one who beckons and summons. Jesus says this in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. He summons. He summons those whom he wills. But notice this, it says he appointed them. That word again is an interesting one. It literally means to make. He made them. He designed them. When we come to Christ, we are a new creation in Christ. And then when we surrender our lives to him, he molds, he shapes into the form that he desires to use in the way that he desires. And notice first, he made them, he appointed them first. And this is primary to be with him. That if we are to be used again effectively by God and for his purposes, we need to be with him. Makes sense. Jesus said, and he, used, he gave the illustration of the vine and the branches, that we need to abide in him. And he in us, the vine and the branches, they don't separate. It's not like the, the, the branch attaches to the vine for a couple hours a day. No, it's continual because Jesus said, because apart from me, you can only do so much. Is that what he said? Anybody paying attention? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can do a whole lot of activity. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, apart from him, though, we can do nothing of any significance. Nothing of any eternal value. 
Nothing that is truly going to change and to help and to transform. And so we, are, we need to be with him as they were. And, to, and then it says that he sends them out. Chapter 9 of Luke says that he sent them out with power and authority. Now, as we look at this little section here to focus in on this specifically for just a moment... There were many disciples, a large group of disciples. There were those that were following around after Jesus, these multitudes that we saw. They get healed, they go home. Some would stay on and follow Jesus a little bit more. As the next group gets healed, go home, some follow a little bit more. And this group of quote-unquote disciples was growing and growing. Jesus, from that group, chooses 12 to be his apostles. And that word literally means to be sent out specifically by him. And we see that this group that he chooses, it gives us this list. It's also recorded in Matthew and in, and in John and in Acts. These 12 that he chooses, Luke tells us that he prayed all night before choosing them. All night. He was before, before the Father. And we don't have a record of that discussion, I can only imagine. So this is not, this is not biblical. This is just the way I think because I can only imagine that the conversation he had when he was talking to the father about me, <laughs> Peter, Peter, really? Peter, the, the, we're talking about the Simon, that, that Peter, the ready, fire, aim Peter, the one who just kind of goes off half-cocked all the time, that one. Okay, you realize he's going to be the leader of this group. He's the, he's the older one. <laughs> what about the conversation when it came to Judas? The Bible tells us that Jesus knew. Jesus knew. It says that when he was talking to the group of them, he said, one of you is a devil. He knew it. And yet he embraces this. And I can, I can imagine, and I say that tongue in cheek, because I can, I can only imagine it was like, Peter, yes. Yes. Because he sees what Peter will be, not what Peter is and has been. He sees all of that, and he sees that in you and I. Not what we were, not even what we are, but what we will be in him. Again, I'm so blessed by that. When we look at this, this list of names these, these that we go through, this isn't the cream of the crop. This isn't the top of the class. This isn't like he was picking off the best from these other rabbinical schools. No, he picked, he picked ones that, that weren't making it anywhere else, that weren't successful other places. Again, we talked, he picks a tax collector, he picks fishermen, he picks from all over the place. And I think of that, if I, was, if I was on a mission, if I was given the mission, go out and change the world, take this message to the whole world, who would I pick? Who would you pick? None of these guys, we would have never heard of any of them outside of Jesus. We wouldn't be here talking about any of these guys if it weren't for Jesus. He takes the, the least likely. And I'm so, again, I'm so thankful for that. I think of my own calling. And that's where I kind of do that. I said, you got to be kidding, Brett. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, 
He doesn't choose us outside of him because of who we are or what we got. As a matter of fact, he chooses us in spite of that. So that no man may boast before God. Now, when we start to look at this, and again, I, we're, I believe the Lord is, is taking us here. I want to I just do this. For, I don't want to be dogmatic about this, but I, I think it helps me make a, a point as we transition. When you, when you have a mind, your mind's eye, what do the disciples look like to you? When you have this picture, and I, know, I realize Hollywood has helped paint that picture for us when we see the movies and that type of stuff, but how old do you, how old do you picture the disciples in your mind? I mean, mid-30s? Peter maybe being 40. I mean, it's interesting to me always in the movies, Peter's always looked like he could be Jesus' dad in the, in the movies and, and, and the way that it's all set up. But I, and again, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but the Bible, I believe, gives us some clues as to how we can answer that question because understanding, things were very different back then. There was no adolescence. We've created that as, an, as a culture. That we, we try to fit this little time frame, and it has started out, with, what do we do with these kids from ages 13 to 15, 16? Because they're not children anymore, but they, they haven't reached the, the mature adulthood. So let's, let's create a category for them and treat them differently. And I don't know about you, but that category keeps getting wider and wider and wider. I know a whole lot of 27-year-old adolescents. But that didn't exist back in Bible times. You were 13. As a male, you had your bar mitzvah. Guess what? You're a man now. And you were treated like a man. And Exodus 30 says this, speaking of the, the law that's being laid down as far as a tax that is to be paid for the upkeep of the temple. And it's called the temple tax, Exodus 30. It says, everyone is, who is numbered from 20 years old and older, remember that, shall give the contribution to the Lord. The rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel when you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourself. So everyone, every year, 20 years old and older, is to pay a half shekel temple tax. Now, with that in mind, Matthew chapter 17, I'll just read it. You can, note takers, jot it down, beginning in verse 24. When they, Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax, which is equal to a half shekel, came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, he like he didn't know what to say. He just said, uh, yeah, yeah, he does. And he runs to Jesus real quick. When he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth pay, co collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? Peter responded, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. So how many of the disciples are older than 20? One. Jesus said, take that one shekel and pay for you and me. Now, again, I don't want to be dogmatic about that, but it sure opens up some things to me, helps explain some things to me, because Jesus often referred to them as he's following along as children. Their behavior makes a whole lot more sense at times. When they're, they're arguing openly right in front of Jesus about which one of them is the greatest. You know, kids, right? When you're a teenager, my dad could beat up your dad. and Oh, yeah, and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of, that kind of thing going on. When we're adults, we think it. We don't say it. 
When we're kids, it just comes out of our mouth. <laughs> right in front of Jesus. James and John will at one point go to their mom and say, hey, mom, would you go talk to Jesus for us? Can you imagine a couple of 35-year-old men? Hey, mom, go talk to Jesus. Again, my point that I want to make with this is we put God into a box as far as who he can and who he will use. And I'm here to tell you, God will use you. If you are a born-again believer today, God will use you no matter how old you are. No matter how young you are, the Lord has a gift that he's given to you that needs to be used in his service, no matter how young you are. And by the way, no matter how old you are, all of these disciples, except Judas, who killed himself, died serving the Lord. None of them retired. None of them said, you know what? I did my time. Now I'm just going to kick back and relax until God takes me home. None of them. They all served full time until they took their last breath. And when we look at this list, again, I'm, I'm blessed by it, but one name jumps out at me because it tells us that God will use us no matter what our past contains. And he takes our past, and he, and he no longer recognizes us by our past. He looks at us now as to who we are and who we will be in him. Notice the name that is recorded for us in verse 18, Matthew. The last time we saw Matthew was a couple of chapters ago, and he was introduced to us as Levi, the tax collector. Now he's Matthew, the apostle. doesn't matter what your past contains. If you are a born-again believer here today, you have been washed in the blood of Jesus, and he has given you something that you need to use for his glory and his purposes. We see it throughout the Bible. It doesn't matter. Paul was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. Read, read later on, read Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, full of sinners that God touched, changed, transformed, and used for his glory and his purposes. Now, again, shifting just a little bit away from the apostles here, understand, as I mentioned, there are many disciples and as we read through the book of Acts, we see how God used those disciples, apart from the apostles, very specific ministry for them, but also the disciples, how he used them, how he, throughout the whole New Testament, we see Paul and Barnabas, Priscilla and Aquila, we see Timothy and Titus and so many others that God used for his purposes simply because they said, Lord, you have saved me, you have blessed me, you have given me a gift, a talent, or whatever it is, you've given me time, and I give that to you. I'd like to spend the, the remainder of our time this morning talking about the importance and the need to serve in the body of Christ by everyone. It's this whole week, we were talking as elders on Tuesday, and ever since then, the Lord has just really impressed on me. And again, as, as getting to this, this is so important. Listen to what this says in 1 Peter chapter 4. As each one has received a special gift. What makes the gift special? Because you're the only one that has it. God has individually, personally given to each one of us as believers a gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The gift that you've been given is not to be hoarded. It is to be used to bless 
the body of Christ. It is used to bless and to serve one another. Notice, as good stewards. We think of that word, that phrase, good stewards, as what we are to do with our finances, and that's true. We are to be good stewards with what God has entrusted us financially, but also spiritually. Also, the gifts that he gives us. We need to be good stewards with those gifts. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're in Mark. Go to the right, past the Gospels, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you get to Galatians, you've gone too far. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Notice it says, now there are varieties, multiple varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. A specific part of these gifts mentioned here, the manifestation of the Spirit, notice, for the common good. It's not to be held in. It is to bless the, 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 the group. The Holy Spirit we see here guarantees our ability to make a contribution, to make a difference in the body of Christ. In verse 1, or chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, as he's writing to the body there, the church in Corinth, he says, you are not lacking in any gift. He wasn't speaking to an individual. He was speaking to the church. And in the church there in Corinth, he says, you're not lacking in any gift. Whatever you need, you have. And the same is true for us as the body of believers at Calvary Chapel Surprise. Everything we need to operate at maximum capacity and efficiency for the glory of God is here. We're not lacking in any gift. Jump ahead to verse 14, because Paul gives us this picture of the human body, but then draws the direct comparison to the body of Christ. And I'll read quickly, just follow along with me, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am, I am not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one members, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And the less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. We know from the word of God, when we think of our own human body, it tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And we can look at our text in Mark and here again in 1 Corinthians and know that the body of Christ is the same. Fearfully and wonderfully made by Jesus. John 15, 16 again. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you very specifically as individual parts. And can I say as a part of the body of Christ, if you're not doing your part, you're hurting and even crippling the body of Christ. Other parts are forced to compensate. I don't know if you've ever had a had an injury or a part of your body that's not working the way you want it to and another part overcompensates for that and guess what happens? All of a sudden that part starts hurting and then your back gets all messed up and then you you know we the whole body we talked about this the whole body rejoices when when one part does if you have a if you have an itch in the middle of your back and it's just driving you crazy and you can reach it and you just stretch it and finally get it doesn't your whole body rejoice with that it's like oh but when one part fails, when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. Can you imagine walking across a busy street and all of a sudden you're, you turn and you look and there's a car coming straight for you and your eye sees it, sends a message to the brain saying, we got to move. Your brain sends a message to your feet and says, run. And your feet says, no, I'm not feeling like it today. <laughs> the whole body hurts. Guys, there's a, an old ratio that's used and it's an unfortunate ratio because it's so true and it's it's all across I'm not talking just Calvary Chapel surprise I'm talking everywhere anywhere you go they call it the 80 20 principle 80 percent of the work is done by 20 percent of the people and it's just it, it people know what we're talking about because that just seems to be the the case everywhere and if we look at this and again the, the this is the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to put this here and we look at that, the whole body suffers. The whole body can shut down if, if the body isn't working, if, the, if they're not embracing the roles. But the body will grow healthy and strong and impact the culture around if we all do our part. There are very real needs at Calvary Chapel Surprise. We try to put them up in video announcements, and I think sometimes that just kind of goes in and out. And, but we have very real needs. Vacation Bible School, just over a week away. We have over 600 kids signed up to come here. We have, that is three times as many kids as we have on a given weekend here that attend. What does that say? That says that there are a ton of kids that are outside of our church that are coming they don't, they're not a part of our church. As a matter of fact, I just got this this morning. 277 have checked on their application that they're coming to VBS. They say, I've never been there before. 277 of the 600 plus. Now, some of them, no doubt, are a part of other churches and are coming here. But no doubt, some of them are coming from churches that have no church affiliation whatsoever. They're just looking at it like mom and dad saying, are you kidding? Free babysitting for a week? We still need volunteers. And the amazing thing is, we, we sometimes look at volunteers like, oh, okay, I, I'll, I'll surrender some of my time. Do you have no idea the, the blessing that comes from pouring into the life of a child? I can still remember just a couple years ago, and I know I don't, oh my goodness, 
I don't have a lot of time for personal stories, but a couple of years ago, there was a girl that came, and she was a, one of the fifth, sixth graders, I think. And when I said, take out your Bible, she didn't know what a Bible was. And afterwards, she felt kind of self-conscious because she was the, one of the only few that didn't have one. And she said, could I have one of those books? So I gave her one. We had, you know, like we do under the chairs, and I, so I gave her one. She came back the next day, praise the Lord, and she's sitting there with her teacher, and when I said, turn to such and such a page, everybody else is, but she's like, she has no idea, so the teacher's helping her find it, and, and I was teaching through the lesson. By the end of the week, she gave her life to Jesus, and I couldn't, I couldn't wait to run and go buy her one of those pink Bibles and bring it to her and give it to her as a gift to go home with, and I'm still, I was praying, go home and read this to your parents. And tell them, and what it, we have no idea the impact that we can make on a child simply by saying, you know what, I'll help. Children's ministry. We talk of this all the time, guys. We need, it's, it's to the point of being desperate. We need help in children's ministry on a weekly basis. Last month, twice, we had to turn children away from the nursery. We don't have enough volunteers. Twice, two weeks in a row. Somebody came with a baby. What if that's the first-time visitor? What's that telling them? We don't have room for you. Simply because we didn't have enough volunteers to, to simply love on and hold babies? Many in our children's ministry serve double and triple duty. They serve Saturday night and both services on Sunday because they don't have enough. That means they're not in here. They go home and watch the, the video replayed later in the week. cleaning team. We just had it up there. Again, maybe went, went, went right through, but we have volunteers that clean the church. Two weeks ago, we had two people here. Yesterday, we had three to clean the whole church. Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings, there's another cleaning team. They meet at 830, Saturdays at 630. If you can make that, that'd be awesome. Media, We've talked the last few weeks about we need six camera volunteers just to come. We'll totally train you. It's not like you're standing behind, you know, like the, the old ones standing behind the big camera and doing all this kind of stuff with the earphones on everything. No, you sit back in a, in a chair, you watch from back there, and it's all on computer. You just click that button, click that button. It's really simple. We'll totally train you. I was blown away when I got the statistics this week from our media team. On any given week, we have up to 185 viewers watching the live stream during our services. And then during the month, we have hundreds of others that go on and watch the recorded service. The gospel's going around the world through our media. And as far as Kuwait and Germany, India, we even have somebody trying to get on in China. And it seems like it's being blocked. The government's blocking all that. Pray for that guy. But we need that. So that we can, we can, we can do, uh, uh, we can provide a product that says, man, this is, it's, it's, they feel part of it. That's part of, when we're moving the cameras and, and the, the audio and all of that type of stuff, we need help in media. Young people. Now, those that are older than young people, don't take offense. Young people, we need young greeters. We need young ushers. Not that any of you that are doing that, that don't, fit, don't, don't, don't say, okay, I quit. No, we just need some others to come alongside you. Because we have, we've talked of this. I've, I've even talked with several of you that why, why is it that you come to Calvary Chapel Surprise instead of going to church in Sun City or Sun City West? It's because I want to be around young people. 
But when people come in, they, we want that to feel, man, we are a, that's one of the things I love about Calvary Chapel Surprises is the diversity. Young and, and, and not as young. And just all across the board. Just such a blessing. Youth. I know many of them just went off to camp, but high schoolers, junior hires. Again, God wants to use you. He's given you a gift. We need your help. You, you can get involved in media. You can get involved in children's ministry. We just need help in those areas. All, and there's needs everywhere. I, one thing that I, I read over, but I want to go back because I think it's, it's interesting. It jumped off the page at me this week. Verse 9, back in Mark chapter 3, verse 9. Notice it says, he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him. <laughs> interesting, when we read that, Jesus doesn't use the boat. He said, just have it ready. He does use it in, in Luke's account, Luke chapter 5. It says that at another time, the crowd pressing in on him, and he tells Peter, Peter had a boat there. He said, Peter, he gets in the boat, he says, push me away. That again, when I come back to it, how God chooses to use us, Jesus didn't have to use Peter or his boat. He chose to. But there was a boat that was ready, and Peter was willing to say, yeah, okay, get in and push it away. I think of, wouldn't it, been, wouldn't it have been more effective if Jesus just walked on water out into the middle of the lake and preached like that? I mean, he'd have everybody's undivided attention then, but he chose to use Peter in his boat. And guys, he chooses to use you and me. And when I think about that, to have the boat ready, I get this idea. I, I, I have a dream. <laughs> Calvary Chapel Surprise would be different that we would have a church full of people that were ready all the time for whatever God might have on any given Saturday night, Sunday, and that we would have a section out in our Connect Center that you'd walk in and you'd say, are there any needs today? Yeah, you know what? We had three people call in sick in children's ministry. Got it, and go. You gotta be ready. You have, to, you have to have a ministry application for our children's ministry. We do background checks. There's things that we do to provide a safe environment for our kids. But is, is it crazy to think that our culture in our church could be different than that we don't have the 80-20? We have the 90-10 totally flipped on its ear. And we have to say, yeah, you know what? Thanks for checking in, but we got an active waiting list to serve in children's ministry. Is that crazy? Now, some of you are thinking, you know, this sounds like an awful self-serving message. It is. Because we're the body of Christ. And when we do our part, we serve not only everyone else, but we are served. Because we're the body together. We do this together. Some of you might be saying, okay, well, I'll pray about that. Okay, I'm just here to tell you I already did. And you can pray all you want, but God will never answer a prayer contrary to his word, ever. And let me put the verse back up on the screen, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you still want to pray about it, that's awesome. I never want to discourage anybody from prayer. Come tonight, encounter, 6 o'clock. We'll pray, and we'll have computers ready for you to sign up afterwards. Lastly, and I know I'm pressing time here, but motivation. Why? Why should we do this? Why in the world? I, I've outlined it again that you know, we, we have the benefit of the body. But listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. 
None of that matters. Not following after the law, these old things, none of that matters, but faith working through love. That's what matters as far as serving. Faith working through love. A few verses later, he says, through love, serve one another. It's because of love, the love that has been extended to us. Remember, we didn't love first. Jesus says that our love is in response to his love. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, as, as Andy talked about earlier, and as we, we celebrated, the, the payment in full for our sins, clothed in his righteousness. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He loves me. He died for me. He gives my life purpose and meaning. That's the only thing that, that matters. And, and the only thing that matters is now me serving him and, and doing everything. We're going to face him face to face someday. Might be today. Ministry is a life of service. For Jesus, like Jesus, and with Jesus. It's all about him. If that doesn't motivate us, I don't know what will. But wait, there's more. If you sign up in the next 15 minutes, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the amazing thing is, there, sh there shouldn't, be, there shouldn't be a need for anything else. I mean, again, we shouldn't serve to get. We should serve because we already got. But the amazing thing is, when we serve, we have blessing immediately and eternally. As I mentioned to you, when you serve and you step out, even in an area that you're not comfortable with, and I'd even say especially in an area that you're not comfortable with, the blessing that floods back is overwhelming. But Paul also says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We could say, okay, yeah, well, it makes sense that Paul's going to get a crown. Look at what he did. No, he said, notice, as with all who loved his appearing, all of those who embraced the, the simple call on their life and said, Lord, here's my life. Here's my heart. You're the one who redeemed it. You're the one who saved it. I just, whatever it is that you would have me do. There's rewards eternally. There's only one foundation. We know that, and that, that is Jesus. But as Christians, it matters what we build on that foundation. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that it's, that's going to all pass through. And he gives this image of passing through fire. And if it's all wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn. But those things that are done for Jesus, those things that are done because of what he has done for us in a selfless heart, it tells us that, that it's, that's like gold and silver and precious stones. Those pass through fire unscathed. Probably heard this before, a phrase in a, in a poem, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Would you please stand? We're going to sing a song in, in, in response to this. And after, after the song, I'd like to invite anybody who needs prayer to come forward. We'd like that opportunity to pray with you. But let's, 
Let's go before the Lord with our hearts. Lord Jesus, again, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that we stand before you righteous. We stand before you blameless, not because of efforts and things that we've done on our own, but simply, totally, completely because of the finished work on the cross on our behalf. And by faith, Lord, we've received that gift. And we thank you so much for that. But Lord, we understand as we clearly look in your word today that yes, you have saved us and given eternal life to us and we will be with you forever in heaven, but you've left us here for a reason, for a purpose. And you've given each one of us gifts and talents. You've given each one of us time. And Lord, I pray that this message today wouldn't come across as a harsh one, but a one that comes as a message of love because, Lord, it's your heart that we would serve you, that we would serve one another. And, Lord, I pray that Calvary Chapel's surprise would, would be different, would be a place where, where we, we can't wait to serve each other, that we have to actually turn volunteers away instead of turning children away. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for this, this body that you've assembled here. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and that you would move gently on our hearts. This isn't, this isn't a harsh thing. This is a love thing, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would just flood us with that as we now respond, Lord. Here's, here's all that we are. Here's our life, Lord. Take it and use it for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.